He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, June 18, 2022, episode 101. If you missed the first 100, fear not. They are all online, and some of them will be referenced because we deal with some new topics and some familiar topics. The Death Vallenberg has fascinated me. June 18, 1984, 38 years ago today, that tragic event occurred middle of the 1400 block of Adams. I was a listener. I never met Alan Berg. I had heard him, a little bit of Peter Boyles, but Alan Berg was the big star until he got slaughtered by white supremacists. We have Judith Berg on our show today, and that's kind of amazing. I've been asking her to do a podcast for quite a while, and she finally said yes, and what she says is remarkable, disturbing, and you have to give it a listen. But first, I have Joe O'Day. We had a glitch. In fact, I didn't expect to have room for two guests, but I do. And you can skip to whatever you want, but both are fantastic. Joe O'Day has a great shot to be the next United States Senator from Colorado. I can puzzle that out. He is an accomplished businessman. He's running against a far right-wing guy who I hope can't win. I pray can't win, and I'm voting that he not win because as disgusted as I am with the Republicans and their embrace of Trumpism, well, Joe O'Day is not in that category, but his opponent is. As an unaffiliated, I get to determine who is the nominee, which is good because Colorado needs two strong candidates and Michael Bennett's been invited on and he's going to have to work hard to get my vote because I don't like $5 gas. It's not all Joe Biden's fault, but he's no great shakes either. He's a little too old, in case you haven't noticed. But he's so much better than Donald Trump. Have you been following this January 6th committee hearing? I have. I've been disturbed, and I'll talk about this later, with sound bites. how my colleagues, Dan Kaplis, George Brockler, smart lawyers won't analyze this crime story. Come on, fellas. Oh, that's right. It's just like impeachment number one, when I got canned for wanting to talk about removing Trump's ass for shaking down Zelensky. Silence from everybody else, but some people speak up in hostile places. And believe me, if uh, Brockler said what he really thinks about Trump, then he probably couldn't have that morning show anymore. Now, could he? Now, that's a decision to make. Everybody has to make a decision on how they make their money and butter their toast, whatever you want to say. But I like Joe O'Day on first meeting, and I met him twice this week. He came to the studio, met my dogs, We had 45 minutes of great conversation, and I pushed the wrong button, and I blew it. I had to call his campaign with my tail between the legs, and yet Joe gets back to me. That's the kind of guy he is. And plus, he wants my vote. He gets my vote in the primary. 
Next week, Heidi Ganahl wants my vote. She may get it too. Jared Polis, my guest next week. That's episode 102. But this week, Joe O'Day first, then Judith Berg. Let me tell you about Joe O'Day and my old pal Dan Kaplis. Joe O'Day debated Kaplis on abortion. That was my job, and I won it over and over. I'm a pro-choice guy. It's between a woman and her doctor the first three months. Get out of the way, big government. How are you going to prosecute them? Oh, we won't prosecute the women. Really? Why not? Because... Oh, they're the victims. I don't infantilize women. Anyway, it's not what I think. It's what Joe O'Day thinks because he's a Republican and he's pro-choice and he says something so smart here. See if you can pick it up as he goes on Dan's show and blows his mind. Dan didn't know he was pro-choice. How can a Republican, a Catholic be pro-choice? There are lots of them, Dan. Do you want to see the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade? Uh, no, I, I said no to that issue. Okay. Uh, I was asked that question over a month ago. I don't think it's healthy for the United States. Okay. So if the court does overturn Roe, which would be against your wishes, I understand, do you want Roe to be made the law of the land through federal legislation w- within the parameters you just mentioned? Yes, I would. I, I just stated it. Did you hear the key line? Not healthy for the U.S.? I give Dan credit for this. He wouldn't give up. He said, couldn't you change your mind? Don't you know human life begins at conception? Dan and I debated that so many times. But really, that's when it begins, when the cells start dividing. Yeah, that's life. It happens in any organism. But don't you need a brain or a heart or something like that to feel pain before you're a human being? And yeah, some people look at a sonogram and say, look at my baby, but they don't say how many miscarriages they had when you ask how many children. And they don't pull out the pregnancy kit positive and say, this is my baby. You're excited. You want to have a baby. Some people do. Some people don't. Joe O'Day would have such power if he got elected as pro-choice Republican. Dan always thinks about, and he loved Bill Redder. Because he thought if I could get, if we could have a pro-choice Democrat or a pro-life Democrat, which I guess Dan was, I didn't know him then. In any event, here's Joe O'Day, and as he loses Dan Kaplan's vote, he's gaining mine. And just so I can get as much clarity as possible, the issue of when human life begins at this point, you don't, you don't have a, a clear point in time. You don't have a, a specific point in time. You know, I, I don't know that it's a time. I, I think it's a it's a it's something that should be between a woman and her doctor and, and, and not for me to put my beliefs on someone else. And that that's where I'm where I'm at, Dan. And Joe, if if as a matter of science, human life begins at conception, if just as a matter of science, how would that be putting your beliefs on somebody else? Well, I. I think that's debatable. I think there's people that that believe that it's it's later than that, um, and and that's between them and 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 their God, and and so that's where I'm going to come down, okay. and and that's what I believe. And then here's the beauty of the next line. And Dan still references me on his show, and I sort of like that. He speaks kindly of me. I'm getting a little upset with him because of Trumpism. 
But Dan states his principle clearly that it wouldn't matter who it was. If the guy is pro-choice or the gal, he's not voting for him. Okay. And he wonders sometimes as he ponders running for office, he never has, but he still talks about it. I wonder if Craig would vote for me. Well, you wouldn't vote for me. I'm not going to vote for you. And abortion was not even in my top 10 issues. But when Roe v. Wade gets reversed, it will be. Maybe in my top five, because I don't want my boys or my prospective daughter-in-laws living in such a world. I don't want women's rights to go backwards. And, and an awful lot of us just can't vote for anybody, no matter how much we like and respect that person, who will use the power we give them to go out and codify Roe. After decades of fighting to have Roe overturned, do you think I'm going to sit here and vote for somebody? It could be my wife. It could be the person I love and respect most in the world. I would never vote for anybody who would use the power I give them to go out and put Roe back in place. There's a smart woman from my alma mater, the Colorado College. Her mother, Lynn, went there as well. I speak about Liz Cheney, went on to the University of Chicago. I wonder if she had Professor Al Schuler, my professor at CU. He went on to Chicago. I'm going to get him on the show because he writes eloquently about Roe v. Wade. But let's face it, Liz Cheney would be on the side of Dan Kaplis on Roe v. Wade, same side as George Brockler. And I can respect that until they start imposing it on America. But here's the thing. Even though Liz Cheney is pro-life, she won't look past the criminality of Donald Trump. And neither will Adam Kinzinger. I am so disturbed that people in a position to tell the truth to the Republican Party won't do it, won't cover the January 6th committee. That's why I'm impressed by O'Day. He'll stand up to the big lie. I have more sound showing that these other guys won't. But for now, before we go to Joe O'Day, let me have Liz Cheney speak for me because she puts it beautifully to our colleagues. Come on. This is an inflection point in history. Take it away, Liz Cheney. I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. So now, please enjoy my interview with Joe O'Day, and that's going to be followed by a special reintroduction by our troubadour at a time that we thought Joe O'Day's interview had gone away, never to come back again, but it did. And we talk about the great song by our troubadour, Dave Gunders, Only a Rock in the Road. I think that's what's going to happen with Joe O'Day. I think these ads in which the Dems are trying to boost his opponent. Hanks will not work. It will backfire. Joe O'Day will get the nomination. And he has a great chance of beating Michael Bennett. And unaffiliated voters will decide that. So then after Joe O'Day, we'll have this song, Only a Rock in the Road by our troubadour, followed by some more analysis of sound involving uh, Jenna Ellis, Dan Kaplis, and the January 6th committee. So stay tuned for all of that. But I'd like you to listen to 
a guy I got to meet twice this week, Joe O'Day. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, Craig, Joe O'Day again. Joe O'Day again. You know, this is anticlimactic <laughs> because I already voted for you. I was well, so good. impressed by you and our meeting. Let me tell the story. You were good enough to come to my home studio. My dogs bonded with you immediately. A great sign. We had a great conversation and you won me over. And you did it by not supporting this big lie bullshit and saying that a woman has a right to choose in the first three months. And those are positions I support as an unaffiliated voter. And I've thought about further destroying the Republican Party because they pissed me off so bad. I said this to John Southers and Norm Early's memorial. But I'm going to try to save the Republican Party one more time because I believe in Colorado benefiting from good competition. I'd like to see a good competitive race with Michael Bennett. And it won't be if Ron Hanks is in there. And it won't be good for Colorado if Colorado's Republican Party is dominated by Ron Hanks. I've puzzled it out. I needed to make sure you were a normal guy, and you sure are, Joe O'Day. You root for the avalanche, but like me and most natives, our first love, the Broncos, the Broncos. So I'll shut up and tell you that we already recorded a segment where uh, my sidekick, our troubadour Dave Gunders, witnessed my signature, and uh, I'm going to try to influence other people to do what I'm doing and especially, I'd like to counteract that dirty trick being played against you with those mailers and uh, Democrats trying to get Ron Hanks instead of you. So I'm going to shut up, and hopefully you'll say thank you. I thank you so much for being gracious to call me back. We had a glitch. It happens, especially when you've got me pressing a button or two. And it never happened through the first 100 episodes. My God, I had a great interview and I was embarrassed. I talked to your wonderful campaign manager, Zach Roday, and here you are calling me. It's over 100 degrees. You're in the western slope. And thank you, Joe O'Day. Well, Craig, thanks for having me in your house. And it was wonderful to meet your wife uh, and, and your dogs. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I put them to sleep, I think, during the interview. They, they, they didn't want to listen to me, but uh, 
I appreciated our time together. That was fantastic. And uh, I'm really excited to be a fighter for Colorado. I'm excited that uh, we're going to have this opportunity to make sure that Michael Bennett is a senator no more. Uh, we're going to take the fight to him all summer. He's going to wake up in the middle of the night. He's going to hear my voice, Craig. Uh, inflation, $5 gas, 30% hike in crime. We're going to talk about all those issues that matter to working Americans here in Colorado. They're the ones that are that are having to foot the bill right now. It's four hundred and fifty dollars uh, to the average family right now, and uh, it, it, per month, it, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's the Biden tax, and it's been caused by all of these issues, all of these policies that Democrats, both from Denver and Washington, have put in place that are just really striking at the heart of working Americans right now. Uh, you know, when you've got to make a choice between feeding yourself and, and heating your house this, this winter, it's going to be really tough. And we've got to get in front of these policies. We've got to make some changes in Washington. I'm excited to take the fight to, uh, to the Senate floor for working Americans here in Colorado. And you're homegrown. We talked about you growing up about Monaco and Yale. I was further down Monaco, a bit north of you. You're a little younger than me, but we have a lot of the same influences. And I wonder, did you listen to the radio growing up? Do you remember Alan Berg? I do. I do. I used to listen to Alan uh, on the radio, and, and he was quite vocal about a lot of issues. He, he really liked to, to get in the middle of controversy and, and weigh in an opinion, but he, but he also liked to, drink, liked to take some, and bring some balance to issues as well. Right. And he enjoyed the adversarial process, which is something I've come to appreciate through four decades as a trial lawyer. You need two good sides competing. You're a very successful businessman. That's what makes America great, competition, the adversary system. And right now, if the Republicans go the way of this far-right, way-conservative crew, then uh, it's not good for Colorado. Do you agree? I do, and, and we need to bring some balance some balance to Colorado. Colorado wants somebody that's going to represent conservative values and make sure that we're fiscally responsible. They want somebody that'll speak for Colorado. And, and, and this guy that I'm running against, he's an import from uh, California. He flip-flops on the issues. He's one way on, on abortion in California. Then he changed. He's more conservative here. Same with guns. Same with unions. He's flip-flopped back and forth. He voted for a, uh, a bill. He was the lone Republican down at the House that voted for a bill this last year that would have made it uh, teachers. A, it was a criminal penalty for teachers that had sex with students. And he voted against it. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, but at, I, least, at least he showed up to cast a vote. I hear he has a problem day, showing yeah. up. Yeah. He, he had the worst attendance record of anybody in the House. And uh you know, that's not what Colorado needs. That's not going to help our, our our great state. And and so that's why I'm running so hard against this guy. We, we need to get we need to get balance. We need to get somebody in there that will actually do the job, that will show up for work and make sure that we represent Colorado. That, that's where I'm from. That's what I'll do every day is make sure we're speaking for working Americans here in Colorado. Now, he may be a fine man. I've never met uh, Senator Hanks is his name Ron, or didn't he run before under the name Lauren? 
Yeah, I, I, I'm always confused why somebody would change their name. What are they running away from? I, I, I don't know. But all I know is he's not going to be good for our state. He's not going to represent working Americans but what here. If, no, come on. Be fair. If you need somebody to shoot a copy machine dressed up like a voting machine from Dominion and to spew that kind of bullshit that Donald Trump demands of his sycophants, then Ron Hanks is a better choice than you. You have to concede that. <laughs> well, I, I've never shot a copy machine. I, I will give you that. Right, but you have shot enough weapons to get endorsed by the NRA and John Caldera, which are kind of one and the same thing, but that's another subject, and I already voted for you. You're going to have to earn my vote against Michael Bennett, and you know how you might win that? By coming on my show, especially if Michael Bennett said no. You know who's coming on next week with me? Who's that? Jared Polis and Heidi Ganahl. There you go. How about that? And I'm going to contrast. But let me. Yeah, that's the adversary process now, isn't it? And I want to hear you debate Michael Bennett. Will you debate him? I'm excited to do so. I want to talk about all those issues. I'll be in his head. He'll he'll go to sleep at night hearing uh, 30 percent hiking crime, five dollar gas, inflation. Those are the issues that are important to Colorado. That's the debate. We need we need to talk about how we got here. And I'm going to hold him accountable for it. And I'd like you to contrast your record because he took Denver Public Schools where I went, and he did uh, not that great. In my estimation, I'm sad about that. Whereas you, self-made man, you were adopted. You've thought about the life issue. By the way, on Roe v. Wade, I just admire your position. You've thought about it. We don't have to go through it. It's not like you want late-term abortion or anything like that. But I appreciate your willingness to stand up. That's what's so cool. That's what's such a contrast to a lot of politicians. And I'll tell the audience what I told you, that I think as bad as that $5 gas is, it probably means Senator O'Day. If it goes to six, then I think you're winning by five points. Just keep adding it up because the Biden policies are not working great. And believe me, even people like myself who voted for Joe Biden, and I think he's doing the best he can, he's not doing that good. And I wish he'd do better. So tell me about whether you want unaffiliated to vote for you and to do what I just did. Well, I I think unaffiliated is going to show up in a big way for Joe O'Day uh, uh, in this primary and also in the uh, November election. You know, uh, it's not just Republicans that are paying five or six bucks by the time we get to November for gas. It's our entire state. And people are angry right now. They're angry about this inflation. They're angry about this Biden tax. $450 on the average uh, family a month right now. They're angry about it. And so what, they're going to show up in mass. They want to talk about why crime is up 30%. They want to talk about school choice and making sure that they uh, can determine what their kids are getting taught in school. They want to they want to be able to move their kids to a different school if they're not doing well. That's what my dad did for me. He was able to move me to a different school, gave me a, a job washing dishes so I could pay for it. But uh, uh, we, we need to have that kind of choice for, for, for people with their kids. Uh, those are the debate issues that are going to come up with Michael Bennett this, uh, this November, this, uh, this summer. And we're going to hold him accountable for the policies that have pushed this uh, great country, the 
direction that it is right now. Wow, that's beautiful. And we need to have some full disclosure here. I worked with your dad, Doc O'Day, headed up Vice. In fact, we talked about him. I talked with Bill Ritter yesterday about your dad. Really, he was sort of surprised that your dad was a Denver cop of longstanding and great reputation. And so we have these things in common as native Denverites. We have connections, including you traveling the Western Slope with the grandson of my best friends ever, the late Joseph Henry Leiden. What a great guy he is. And we would debate politics all the time when we played golf. That was beautiful. And you really couldn't go wrong because decent people were running on both sides. And you are certainly a decent person, especially if you give the right answer to this. What about Capless and Silverman? Did you listen to that during the near decade we were on K How in the afternoon? I did. I used to listen to you guys, and I just, uh, you know, uh, Joseph did. Son, we got a, a Quinn's, Quinn's an all star for my campaign. We're over here in Grand Junction. Uh, we just uh, left a meet and greet where one of the the guys that showed up used to work for my dad. Uh, uh, he was a captain's uh, saltsman. Uh, came over, introduced himself to me, and and he retired in 2005. Great guy. I remember him uh, from a long time ago. He'd been at my mo- uh, mom and dad's house when I was younger. And so uh, he was uh, just an outstanding individual. Got to talk to him about my dad a little bit. We had a great group in here. We've, we we uh, we're all over the Western Slope today. We're headed to Gypsum. Uh, I'm going to have to get get going here pretty soon. No, I, we got to drop. I, I, you've so, been more than generous, Joe. And you got my boat. I admire your gumption. You're a nice guy. I just want you to brag on your business success because I, they call you the boss. Why is that? Well, my wife and I started out of our basement with nothing, and we built a business that employs 300 people. And, and let me tell you, those people trusted me to lead that organization for almost 35 years. Uh, they followed, and, and they helped me, and we built a great team over it. Concrete Express. We're still in business. Um, the guys are, are, uh, are running it without me right now. I've, I've taken a little leave of absence to make sure we can replace uh, a, one senator here in November. And they're all behind me. And and I, I'm really, uh, we built a great business. But you know what? It's not so much the business, it's the people. I, I'm missing them right now. A lot of them are really close friends. Uh, we and, and and so, uh, but we'll get back there. We'll go. We'll swing by and say hi to them here this week. We're going to work hard all week to make sure that you know we're we're on the top of the ticket uh, uh, in in uh, November and and make sure that we you know get those votes away from Bennett this November. We're laser focused. We're going to make sure we hold him accountable, and uh, we're going to run hard all week. Craig, thanks for having me hey, on. Hey, really thank you, Joe Day. Good luck. Stay safe. Right. Bye bye. Now. now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. 
I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Oh, what a world. What a day. Oops. See, it's not that easy. Try again. (laughs) Oh, what a world. What a life. What a day. Saturday, June 18th. Welcome to the Craig Silverman podcast. It is our 101st episode. And Craig, take it away. It's still not that easy. All right. Should I do it again? Try one more time. And try to throw the year in there, too. Oh, what a world. What a day. (laughs) (laughs) See? Start me again. Okay, go ahead. Oh, what a world. What a life. What a day. Saturday, June 18th, 2022. You're tuning in to the Craig Silverman News Hour. And this is Troubadour. <laughs> this is Troubadour. You rename my show. That's as good as we're going to get. It <laughs> is episode 101, and we're doing things a little different. But we still we still have our Troubadour, Dave Kunders, and we're going to have fun, especially today. We have the perfect song from the Troubadour, Only a Rock in the Road. And boy, we've had that kind of week. America's had that kind of week. Troubadour, thanks for being here. I love your song. It's about overcoming adversity. Am I right? That's right. And we both had our adversity this week. Yeah, Not to you mention just the had your adversity yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was just a challenge. <laughs> right. Oh, okay, right. Which I feel I rose to. Here's the thing. We have to put it aside. The future is all that matters. You have a big musical gig on Friday night. We record on Friday as usual. Tell everybody where you're playing and what big show they missed and where they can make it up in the future. Well, um, the big show that, that, that they missed was in Boulder on the rooftop there at uh, the Motherlode. But tonight, if anyone cares to come no, to... No, they're not going to hear this till Saturday. Oh, it, oh, I see. Now I see what you're alluding to. So what you missed, folks, is Papamo and the Vipers playing at Rockabilly's in Arvada. How about next week? Can they see them somewhere near southeast Denver, perhaps? I will keep you updated. The next gig that I know about in Denver is July 8th at Lincoln's Roadhouse. That's South Denver, right near South High? That's rear, That's close to us. Everybody should come. Yes. Okay. Let's get on to my show because it's amazing. And your song is perfect because I've been promoting Joe O'Day, who sat in the very chair you are sitting in, gave me a great 45-minute interview, and then... I went to work as a lawyer, had my sound producer grab the sound, and we glitched. Oh, I hate glitches, Dave Gunders. How about you? Yeah, it, it can really uh, can really ruin one's day, and you have to be able to get through it. But I'm sorry to hear about that. I had my own this, this week as well. All right. We don't want to hear about that. No. No. But, but here's a- the thing. Do you have your ballot? I do. Do you see this? I'm going to make it up to Joe Day right here because I liked him. He came to the home studio. Gotta respect that. I'm independent, unaffiliated, so I'm throwing away this Democratic ballot that doesn't have a single contested race. And can you see here that there's a box for Ron Hanks or Joe O'Day? That's right. 
I'm going to mark in Joe O'Day because I do not want these guys taking over Colorado Republican Party. They already have started. And folks, Craig is actually filling out his ballot as we speak. Right. Did you see that? Joe yeah, O'Day. Yeah, I no. got the right box. Do You've you need glasses to see that? I, can I know see you it. do, but just take my word for it. Okay, here's the thing. Have you watched the January 6th hearing? Did you see yesterday, day three? Uh, I'm woefully under uh, under informed. Under informed. I've been busy with other things. You said it's the news hour, but I'm going to give you news 15 seconds. And the way we overcame adversity is amazing. Probably our most interesting guest in a long time. We've had some doozies. Joe Day was great. I'm going to give a rundown of why I'm voting for him, why I like him. Stay tuned for that part of this show. We talked a little about January 6th. He's busy. He's on the campaign trail. And uh, here are the highlights for me so far. Our former president conspired with white supremacist Proud Boys to stage murderous insurrection in which 140 cops got injured. And our democracy nearly went down. Once he got caught, he raised money, although he's never been charged. He raised $250 million dollars. And he doled that out to the likes of Mark Meadows to have him shut up and to foundations that employ Jenna Ellis, who works her mischief. More about that later in the show. They have the lawyers who told them this is wrong, illegal. You can't do it. You can't do this. You can't do that. And then he came up through John Eastman from California, no Colorado degrees, but he was a visiting guy at CU. Isn't that shameful? Dave Gunders went to CU. Dave Gunders has an MBA, by the way. He's smart as hell, even though he messed up the start of the show. But back to Eastman, he's not as smart as Liz Cheney went to Colorado College. Eastman came up with the worst plan ever, and he realized it. And after it went bust, he asked the president, hey, can I get a pardon, please? Because he knew what he had done was illegal. That came out. But here's the coup de grace. is that he wanted to kill Mike Pence. Donald Trump kind of ordered a hit on Mike Pence, and he was excited about it. Bill Barr has talked about the bullshit claims of Trump. Others have turned on him. But for the people on air who said, you know, Bill Barr was the greatest AG ever and Mike Pence is a man of God, they're abandoning these guys for Donald Trump. And you know what his defense is going to be to all this, Troubadour? Uh, He's a former president? No, he's our next president. I bet he declares his candidacy before the hearing is over, before he gets indicted by Merrick Garland so he can say, you see... They're just trying to stop me from being president. I'm the guy who can deal with Putin. I'm the guy who can get gas down to $4 or $3. And maybe he is, but we're going to give up our democracy. And I say, no, thank you. No, thank you. Now back to the Proud Boys. I still can't get it. Can you believe that a president would conspire with racist gang like that to do something like that? And people don't react? No, it's awful. I mean, he obviously he he perpetuated this fraud, and for that, you know, I wish I wish there was some comeuppance for him. I I but I I don't really believe that will happen. Uh, but no, the evidence is clear. Right, but not if you don't ever hear about it. I mean, you're busy. Most people are. They have their news sources, and they distort the truth. It's especially shameful for lawyers. 
And the worst part about Donald Trump is the racism. I mean, again, the Proud Boys, getting in bed with them. Kyle Clark, who is my interview on episode 100, go back to that. He had me on after Charlottesville, and I said, this guy's playing footsie with racists, but now it's more than footsie. And when he said, stand back and stand by, and now it's all coming out, but he's viewing it just like a rock in the road. I'm on my way to 24. Who cares? It's a lot of noise. My cult followers will do it. And then smart guys. Educated people like Hawley and Cruz and Brockler and Kaplis will keep going along with this or stay silent while he keeps the Republican Party going. Joe O'Day has stood up to the big lie in Ron Hanks. Joe O'Day also uh, says Roe v. Wade uh, is the way that he would prefer to go. And he's caught a lot of crap for that, but not for me. He just got my vote. And I'll tell you, why in a segment toward the back of this show, but talk about a rock in the road. I had no guest once I had a tape that glitched, and then I thought, I'm going to call Judith Berg because June 18, this very day of this podcast, is the anniversary date of a despicable, hateful, racist murder in the 1400 block of Adams, Allen Berg shot dead via assault weapon, via white supremacists, June 18, 1984. And I've spent many episodes exploring the murder of Allen Berg and talking to his friends. And we have other sound, and you can go to the show notes to go back to that. I've talked about Peter Boyle's a bit in this, but I've known Judith Berg for a while. And after I had my mic ripped away from me at KNUS because I was excoriating Trump, first impeachment said, hey, we got to talk about this. We can't ignore it. This is bad. Look what he did to Zelensky and this war-torn country. Nobody would talk about it. And now they're following that strategy again. So I had it out uh, on there. And then after my mic got ripped, Peter Boyles hosted a hate fest against me. And Peter Boyles kept bringing up Allen Berg, this disrespects Allen Berg. What the hell do I have to do with Allen Berg other than sharing a religion with him? And then when he went on, after Corcoran starts a big lie about Craig arranged this, he had a blue suit on, it's a conspiracy with CNN, Brian Stalter, Boyles went along with that. And then Boyles made a decision to call me Craig Kaepernick, and you'll hear that sound as I interviewed Judith Berg. Judith Berg, who was the wife of Allen Berg, Judith Berg, who was there and saw the relationship between Peter Boyles and Allen Berg, something I never witnessed. But like many of you, I've heard Peter Boyles go on that I was best friends with Allen Berg, blah, blah, blah. Some of my best friends are Jewish, especially if they're dead. I don't know what the relationship was, but I cannot see it especially when they were competing, especially when I've talked to friends, especially when I know their lifestyle. But I'm no expert on this. This is all supposition. But Judith Berg wanted to talk to me today, and she revealed some things about that relationship that are startling. Troubadour, you listen to them. This is going to be uh, an interesting episode 101. Give me your thoughts. Well, she made an accusation uh, against what something Peter Boyle said, and I'm going to leave it at that. But it, it's it, it's pretty. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's pretty disturbing. And did it seem true to you? 
I believed her. I'm trying to sort it all out, but she deserves a voice. And toward the end, she talks about her fear coming out and speaking. And there's a lot of intimidation going on now. When people break away from Donald Trump, they get threats. And it's an interesting thing about Peter Boyles. We've talked about it a lot. He backed away from the big lie because it was so preposterous, and he was in danger of getting sued. Randy Corcoran got sued. Randy Corcoran brought him Joe Altman. Salem is sued. He's a witness. That seat has gotten hot. Plus, the big lie is so preposterous. And you know what? Peter Boyles had a talent for smelling bullshit and exposing it. Now, nobody on Denver Trump Radio will talk about this conspiracy, and it's darn shame. Peter Boyles, if he was dedicated to exposing the corruption of Donald Trump, he could do a bang-up job, but not with that audience because he'd get hated. And that's what happened, drove him off the air for the last 12 months when he started saying the big lie was bullshit. He got in a fight with Corbin, all those guys, yet he still embraces the same uh, ideology. And you wonder, well, what is it that's attractive, even in the face of the big lie? Is it the white supremacy? Is it the bigotry? Is it offensive to all people that the Proud Boys were involved? I don't think so, Dave Gunders. That's the most disturbing thing to think that you would collaborate with the white supremacist gang and the reaction would be so muted among Trump supporters. Do you think they don't know or they don't care? I think they should listen to Craig Silverman's podcast. Well, there you go. I'm going to let everybody do that. But first, let's listen to Only a Rock in the Road. What was the inspiration for this one, David? I don't remember. I, don't start me to lying. No, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, yeah. You're an honest guy. But I will say that they should have a warning label because it's one of those jingly kind of hooks. Only a rock in the road. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's going to be in your head. It's sung a lot better by Dave Gunders. You'll see what I mean. We had a rock in the road this week. Sorry, Joe O'Day. We will do more than just vote for you. I'm going to say nice things about you. But after the music, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. And then you are going to hear from Judith Berg, the widow of the late Alan Berg, on episode 101. Thanks, Troubadour. Thanks, Craig. i 
Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have 
medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works. It works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaeldailylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. There's a great new Colorado law. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hey, I want to report on you the progress of the January 6th committee after three hearing dates. I'm watching it so you don't have to. It is startling. The timeline shows coordination and a conspiracy between Team Trump and the Proud Boys. They had a documentarian with them. Did you know that? You wouldn't if you listened to Denver Trump Radio or Fox News, but I'm telling you, that the Proud Boys documentarian saw them meet up with the Oath Keepers on January 5th. And it's clear that planning went on whereby the stormtroopers, the Proud Boys, and to an extent the Oath Keepers would go first, find the weak link, which was at the Peace Circle, and then be the tip of the spear. The people behind probably didn't realize they had a bunch of racist gangsters up front. Maybe some did, some didn't. But then the rush was on, and these guys were willing to assault cops, 140 hurt. I have no doubt that people would have been killed, absolutely dead, if they got their hands on them. Mike Pence, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff. It's outrageous. Donald Trump speaking against Adam Schiff, calling him out as the watermelon guy in front of a Christian conservative group, and they're all laughing. It's kind of the theme of the show. It's not good. Conspiring with the Proud Boys, and then when they're caught, the president opens up a phony defense fund or some such thing, raises $250 million. Where did that go? Part of it went to Greece, America First organization. Jen Ellis is a part of that, and a regular part of Denver Trump Radio. And another part went to buy off Mark Meadows to his foundation. It's just sickening. And Trump puts out 12 more pages in support of the big lie. When are you going to call that out? This is what led to this violent insurrection. Then he grifted off of it. Then we learned that every lawyer told him it was bullshit except drunk Rudy who rolls in after midnight election night and says, hey, just declare victory. Your followers are so stupid they'll believe you. We all know the mail ballots won't be counted till the next day, but shut it down now and you won. And he did it. And smart people on the radio and broadcasters, Megyn Kelly and all these guys who ignore it, they're bad. And people who perpetrate it, like Corcoran, my God, 
and Greg Lopez running for governor. He perpetrates it. And Jenna Ellis, who has a welcome invitation on the Dan Kaplan show. And now she's the senior legal counsel to Doug Mastriano, this Christian nationalist in Pennsylvania. And that's a good thing by Dan Kaplis. And she spends pure bullshit when we learn about this scheme of the Democrats to try to prop up the weak Greg Lopez and Ron Hanks candidates so they don't have to run against them. Dan asks the question and Janet gives a pure bullshit answer kind of the thing you learn to do when you represent Donald Trump, and there's no pushback. Jen Ellis brings all those Twitter followers, and Dan knows that, and they're the church people. They vote, and it's scary as hell because they're not upset about an association with the Proud Boys, apparently, or Doug Mastriano from Pennsylvania, who is at the heart of the big lie from the Keystone State. We have plenty of perpetrators here in Colorado who've been associated with Denver Trump Radio. Give a listen to Jenna Ellis on with Dan Kaplan. She calls in to proselytize for Greg Lopez. Jenna, what do you make? And this isn't intended as a negative toward Greg at all, but what do you make? Because I know you know all of this politics at the highest level. What do you make of the Democrats now spending seven figures to try to make Greg the nominee? Yeah, well, I think that uh, that's being spun as the Democrats spending on weak candidates that they want to win the primary. But really, it's an attack out on the candidate that they fear will win in the general. The same thing actually is happening uh, and just happened to Doug Mastriano, who's running for governor in the state of Pennsylvania, who I've not only endorsed, but I'm now um, a senior legal advisor on his team as well. And I'm very happy that he won the primary a few weeks ago. And uh, that was actually not only touted by the Democrats as, oh, he's the, you know, the Trump candidate, the insurrectionist, just because, you know, he was in D.C. on January 6th. But they were afraid of him because he is the strongest conservative in the race. And the GOP establishment hacks are also afraid of Doug Mastriano. So what I see is that this um, is the Democrats trying to pull the wool over uh, low-information Republican voters. And this is actually a huge plus for Greg Lopez in the same way that it is a huge plus for Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Now, Dan did not push back regarding the big lie. He doesn't push back necessarily to say your last answer was bullshit. He thinks Jenna, or he says he thinks Jenna is the smartest lawyer around or some such words, but... Dan will push back on behalf of Heidi Ganahl, who's regular on his show. And there's the accusation by Jen Ellis, among others, that Heidi's been hiding and they love that kind of rhyming. But she has avoided Kyle Clark, and Dan brings that up with the, well, nobody trusts Kyle Clark. I do. He's the best journalist in town. He came on my show without preconditions. I said, hey, how about you and Dan Kaplitz come on my show? And he said, fine. But I invited Dan, and he was busy, and then he said he didn't want to talk about Kyle Clark. Anyway, you got to admire Jenna here, because as Dan pushes back and invokes Kyle Clark, of course, Jenna says, I I don't like Kyle Clark either. But look at the end as she gets in her big lie bullshit. With regard to, to Heidi Ganahl, I haven't seen her hiding. I mean... You know, 
so I'm not sure I understand that that point. All the positives about Greg, I agree with you on, but but Heidi hiding, I just don't see that. I mean, it, it, does that come from this stuff with Kyle Clark now claiming that she won't sit down with him? Because I got to tell you, just based on my personal experiences with Kyle Clark, I think anybody who sits down with him other than live is nuts. Because what I've seen him do, you know, in terms of, quote, editing is the most generous term imaginable. You know, that the statements he asked me for and I give him and then I see these stories he runs and, you know, he'll pull half a quote and leave the other half out and garbage like that. You know, I'd sit down with Kyle Clark live anytime so everybody can see the exchange. But, man, would she be smart? Would anybody be smart to sit down with Kyle Clark and let him edit the story? Right. And, you know, this actually has nothing to do with Kyle Clark. And, you know, he uh, he tweeted at me during uh, the the post 2020 election. And of course, all of your listeners know that I was part of uh, the team Trump legal team when we were challenging um, the the irretrievable, uh, you know, just the irretrievably compromised election in 2020. The problem with talk radio in Denver is they're completely ignoring the January 6th Select Committee, which was predictable because they ignored impeachment one and impeachment two. And I guess I died on that sword because I wanted Trump removed for shaking down Zelensky. Maybe if he hadn't, we could have avoided this war. Who knows? But now we have the Proud Boys in bed with Trump. How do we know? A documentarian walked along with the Proud Boys as they caged the Capitol. They weren't there for this speech. They were there to be the tip of this spear, the stormtroopers. And they would have killed Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. It's a miracle that didn't happen. But they were there overrunning Caroline Edwards, brave officer, and others at the Peace Circle, which was weakly defended, as they knew from their reconnaissance. I documented the crowd turn from protesters to rioters to insurrectionists. I was surprised at the size of the group, the anger and the profanity. And for anyone who didn't understand how violent that event was, I saw it, I documented it, and I experienced it. Uh, I heard incredibly aggressive chanting, and I shared, subsequently shared that footage with the authorities. I'm here today pursuant to a house subpoena. Thank you so much. So how many Proud Boys would you estimate were marching together to the Capitol? Um, a couple of hundred. Potentially, yeah, I'd say a couple of hundred Proud Boys were marching towards the Capitol at that point. At the time, was the area heavily guarded? No, that was, um, we mem- I remember we walked past the, we walked down the mall, we walked to the ref- right of the reflecting pool, and then north along the road that leads to the Peace Circle. And as we were walking past the Peace Circle, I framed the Proud Boys to the right of my shot with the Capitol behind and we see one sole police officer um, at the barriers, which subsequently breached. It is so shameful for people with a microphone who claim they backed the blue to never utter the name Caroline Edwards. Caroline Edwards, she fought the battle of the Capitol. She got knocked over by Joe Biggs in a bicycle rack. He's a proud boy at the Peace Circle. She picked herself up. She kept fighting even though she was injured. She described the experience. What I saw was just a a war scene. It it was something like I had seen out of the movies. 
I, I couldn't believe my eyes. There were officers on the ground, um, you know, they were bleeding, they were throwing up, they were, you know, they had, uh, I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. I was slipping in people's blood. Um, you know, I, I was catching people as they fell. I, you know, I was, it was carnage, it was chaos. I can't, I can't even describe what I saw. I, never in my wildest dreams did I think that as a police officer, as a law enforcement officer, I would find myself in the middle of a battle. Back the blue? Yeah, right. Not if you don't talk about Caroline Edwards. And you're not much of a crime fighter if you don't talk about Al Schmidt. Al Schmidt was a very brave Republican, an election watcher in Philadelphia, did his job, saw no chicanery. Yet Donald Trump insisted there had to be chicanery in Philadelphia, put his name out there, and the guy got threatened. Nobody tells this story better than local TV. Here's a Philadelphia report about brave Al Schmidt. And you have to ask yourself, where are Republican honors backing up this guy? and talking about the mobsterism behind Trumpism. If you are the crime guy on 710 KNUS in the morning, could we get your analysis, please? Oh, yeah, you want to keep your job. NBC 10's Rosemary Connors is joining us now with more on the role our region played at today's hearing, Rosemary. Yeah, we heard from a number of people today, and that includes former Philadelphia elections official Al Schmidt. He testified before the committee like others we heard from, Schmidt is a Republican. He told the committee he vetted every claim and found no evidence of any widespread fraud in Philly. He testified the truth made him the target of death threats. We took seriously every case that was referred to us, no matter how fantastical, no matter how absurd, and took every one of those seriously. Publicly testifying, former Philadelphia City Commissioner Al Schmidt, the only Republican on a three-person commission in charge of overseeing elections, told the January 6th committee about what he experienced in Philadelphia in 2020. Specifically, he answered questions about a voter fraud claim made by Trump advisor Rudy Giuliani. I guess the crooks in Philadelphia are disappointed in this. They only submitted 8,021 ballots from dead people, mail-in ballots for dead people. Former Commissioner Schmidt testified the commission in Philadelphia investigated. Can you tell us what you found? Not only was there not evidence of 8,000 dead voters <clears throat> voting in Pennsylvania, there wasn't evidence of eight. Even former Attorney General Bill Barr, a Trump appointee, told committee representatives during recorded testimony that his investigation of claims of voter fraud in Philly proved to be baseless. That was absolute rubbish. Uh, the turnout in Philadelphia was in line with the state's turnout. This tweet by former President Donald Trump on November 11, 2020, calling Al Schmidt a rhino, a Republican in name only, claimed Schmidt refused to look at a mountain of corruption and dishonesty. Around that time, after the election, Schmidt said he became the target of threats. What can you tell us about death threats to you personally and to the commission? 
I really can't speak about them specifically. But today, former Commissioner Schmidt did share threatening messages he received one day after the president's tweet in 2020. The messages described how Schmidt and his family would be fatally shot and that heads would be on spikes. The threats became much more specific, much more graphic, uh, and included not just me by name, uh, but included members of my family by name, their ages, our address, pictures of our home, just every bit of detail that you could imagine. That was what changed with that tweet. In addition to Schmidt and Attorney General Barr, we heard testimony both in person and recorded from Trump team lawyers, his campaign manager and others. And they insist they told the former president his claims were false, but that he continued to spread them anyway, leading up to and beyond January 6th. I'm Rosemary Connors, NBC 10 News. Jacqueline. And then just to flesh out the story of the ballots uh, nonsense, the, the trickery by Democratic candidates trying to make more conservative voters go out and vote for uh, Ron Hanks, Greg Lopez. They're running ads. The story is much better explained by Kyle Clark, our guest on episode 100, Marshall Zellinger who does a great job. And I don't like this chicanery. I would say the truth hurts, but they went too far saying there was an endorsement by the Colorado Republican Party. I kidded around with Joe O'Day when he came over that maybe that's true if Randy Corcoran is the Colorado Republican Party. Just think about that. This guy who is the guy closely connected with the big lies Republican National Committee man from Colorado. And that's what we're up against. And that's why I am participating in the Republican side, because if that guy gains more power and Ron Hanks and Greg Lopez, I don't like it. Do you? Democrats are meddling in Colorado's Republican primaries for governor and Senate, boosting certain candidates as more extreme hoping that extreme is exactly what Republican primary voters want. Democrats actually want the same thing, thinking that those more conservative candidates will be easier to beat in the general election. Politics guy Marshall Zellinger looks at the strategy. How conservative is Ron Hanks? If you didn't know any better, this attack ad is trying to get primary voters not to choose Republican U.S. Senate candidate Ron Hanks. He says Joe Biden's election was a fraud. The thing is, it is paid for by a group that does not want any Republican to win and may have an ulterior motive. This ad is clearly an effort to help Ron Hanks win the primary, even though it purports to be attacking him. And the reason is, is that because he's the one they would rather run against in November. Former Republican state representative and now unaffiliated voter Rob Whitworth does know better. First, let's get the disclaimer out of the way. He supports Hanks's opponent, but opposes this type of political ad. In this case, I support Joe O'Day. However, for me, this is bigger than any one race. This is really about the integrity of the electoral process. He points out that the ad highlights how conservative Hanks is, which could benefit Hanks among Republican voters in the June 28th primary. Whitwer, along with former Nine News political reporter Adam Schrager, wrote The Blueprint, how the Democrats won Colorado and why Republicans everywhere should care. In that book, they wrote about the 2010 Republican primary for governor. That's the one where Dan Mays, a lesser-known, lesser-funded candidate, beat Scott McGinnis by 5,000 votes. 
following a plagiarism scandal for McGinnis. In that race, the Democratic Governors Association from Washington, D.C. contributed to political ads attacking McGinnis, which benefited Mays, who turned out to be the easier candidate for Democrats to beat. When we see it now, we recognize it for what it is, which is manipulation of the party primary. What do we really know about Republican governor candidate Greg Lopez? The same technique appears to be happening in the Republican primary for governor. This ad, appearing to attack Greg Lopez, also paints him as the conservative candidate, which might be attractive to Republicans voting in the primary. The Colorado Information Network is spending $400,000 on this ad. In 2018, Colorado Information Network paid for political ads supporting Democratic candidates and opposing Republican candidates. It's common to have dishonesty and deception in political races, but this is a level of, of deception that goes beyond what we're accustomed to seeing. And it's, it crosses a line, in my opinion. Back to that Hanks ad, a spokesperson for Democratic Colorado told me in an email, the group is committed to ensuring that Colorado does not elect a Republican to the U.S. Senate. And it appears, based on Colorado's voter makeup and money in politics these days, that if Hanks were the candidate, Senator Michael Bennett might have the easier chance at being reelected versus Joe O'Day, because clearly they're not running ads against Joe O'Day. Yeah. It also says something interesting about the way that they know that viewers respond to these ads when they see something that they think is coming from the opposition, you know, where conservatives see an ad calling somebody a conservative nut job, and they're like, ah, that's my guy, or liberals see one that says, ah, that guy's a conservative wacko. Mm -hmm. Ah, somebody after my own heart, you know. We're so programmed to respond to these ads. Right, but because it's a prime and I mean, unaffiliates can vote in the, in the Republican primary, but this is for Republican voters to say, wait a minute, he's the conservative? Maybe he's my guy. And Democrats who aren't voting in the Republican primary are like, whoa, whoa I don't want that guy. Yeah. Doesn't matter because they don't vote. Will it matter? I'm not actually convinced. Will somebody potentially blame a loss on this? Oh, 100%. 100%. Marshall, thank you. I think what Joe Day faces now is just a bump in the road. Just a rock in the road, as Dave Gunders would say. Ron Hanks should lose that primary. Joe Day has my vote. Let's hear another message from Michael Bailey, proud sponsor of my show, before we go back to a discussion with Judith Berg. This is the first time I've had Judith Berg broadcast with me. We've talked about it for a while. I told her... She could do it when she wanted to, and it was this week. The anniversary of the death of Allen Berg. And she says harsh things about Peter Boyle. She turns around the question to me and asks whether I believe that he engaged in anti-Semitic conduct and the accusations that she makes, and I had to think about it. And, of course, I've added up two and two and two and two and two. I know that when I got removed from my job, he made constant references to Allen Berg and Allen Berg this or Allen Berg that. Apropos of nothing other than Allen Berg was a Jew and so am I. And then he called me Craig Kaepernick, a guy myself I carried a badge for 16 years. That's neither here nor there. But in what way am I like uh, Colin Kaepernick? I guess we both were pretty good quarterbacks. He went a lot further than me. I played lawyers league flag football. But I think it might be that we're the other or not like the others. And uh, we stand out in a way that Kirk Whitland really didn't. When he was uh, 
710 producer, worked all the shows, and then Peter Boyles called him a fine man, and then the next thing you know, he was a neo-Nazi. He was fine when he was making up stories about me. That week that Boyles started calling me Craig Kaepernick, Anyway, that's okay. Other indications, other deuces, so to speak. How about being one of the top five birthers in America? Donald Trump would be on that list, but when it came to riding the wave of saying Barack Obama isn't from here, he's the other, he's different. You can't trust him. He's like Colin Kaepernick. And then leading the anti-immigration charge and venerating Pat Buchanan, legendary non-friend of Israel and the Jewish community. Peter Boyle's never a friend of Israel, always castigated the ADL when they would call out anti-Semitism, find a swastika here or there, oh, that's fake. No self-respecting Nazi would draw a swastika that way. How would you know, sir? Did you learn it from the John Birch Society? I mean, how many times did he have on that John McManus? I thought the John Birch Society was in the dustbins of history. William F. Buckley said, get out of here. We don't like your anti-Semitism, but they're back. They came back, and they are ascendant. In America, around Colorado, it's frightening um, what's going on. It feeds into Trumpism. I remember the last year I worked at 710 KNUS, Peter Boyle's leading a tour of Nazi artifacts, what do you call them, edifices. It was the Third Reich tour where Adolf Hitler did his thing. Not my cup of tea, but he got a lot of people to go with him. I got the brochures from that tour. It did not look like anything that I would have enjoyed. But Peter Boyles and I had a lot of good times. And for a while there, before Donald Trump He was okay. We all get older, get set in our ways, but I'll tell you this, things are getting serious, and what Judith Berg has to say about Peter Boyles, that's serious. And I'm airing it because she wanted to get her voice out about Alan Berg, and God knows that Peter Boyles has gone around town saying I was his best friend or he was my best friend, whatever. I put on my shows trying to get to the bottom of that, And I'll put those in the show notes so you can go back and listen to them. But nothing compares to Judith Berg, former wife of the legendary late Alan Berg. And without further ado, I give you Judith Berg. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show. But more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer. And I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're to, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can 
dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Hello. Judith Berg, it's Craig. Yeah. Hi, honey, how are you? I'm wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Judith Berg, a woman I respect a lot. She's gone through adversity. She's a native Denverite like me. She had remarkable parents. And what a husband she had, the late Alan Berg. Judith, thanks a lot for talking to me. You're welcome, Craig. And I can tell you anything you want to know. Well, tell me about you, first of all. It was a wild ride. I know it, but talk about growing up in Denver. Where did you grow up? And tell us about your remarkable parents. I grew up in Denver. My parents were born and raised in Denver. They grew up on the west side because their parents came from Russia and Poland to cure their tuberculosis at the Jewish Consumptive Relief Society. And the two couples became very close. So they bought a little house on Perry off of Colfax, a a double. So my parents grew up practically in the same house across, across the porch. And they went to Denver Public Schools, Cheltenham Lake and West Tell us your parents' names. Lily Halpern and Bernard Halpern. Her maiden name was Weitzner, W-E-I-T-Z-N-E-R, Weitzner. What a small world this is. You know, my dad and my Uncle Mel grew up with their parents, Harry and Goldie Silverman, 1400 block of Quitman. So there you are, 1400 block of Perry. Keep going. Right. Well, uh, so my folks, they went hand in hand down Colfax to Cheltenham and then across the lake to Lake and they went to West and they won scholarships to DU, to Denver to Denver University. So they went to Denver University and at toward the end of their of their school uh, time they knew they were going to be married and uh Mother met in her class a woman who was the first mulatto employee in the Denver Public Schools, and they became very close. And this woman was given a job at Steck School in preschool. So my mother, (laughs) she decided she was going to build a house across the street from Steck School. So my dad and mother were married when they graduated, and my dad enlisted in the Navy, and he went to the Navy. 
and mother her my father's relatives loved my mom so they helped her and supported her in building a house across the street from Steck School moving to the east side yeah on the east side one block east of Colorado Boulevard and um Mother was an avid, avid liberal Democrat, and the block where she built the house had all Republican neighbors. Do you want me to name the neighbors? If you want, I bet they're famous. (laughs) Well, Blue and Blue Real Estate lived across the street. The Gorsuches lived next door at first. And then they moved around the other side of the block on Ash Street. Are you talking about the family of Supreme Court Justice Neil Neil Gorsuch, his mother and grandparents? Right, his grandparents. And And then the the Rickenbaugh's lived down the block. And um, and then imagine our surprise: at the end of the street was the DeCue family. And, wow. Real estate and, family. They owned the Denver yeah, Bears, Denver Zephyrs, right. and, minor and league they teams. Put, and they put the dome on the Greek, um, you know, on Alameda, the gold yes. dome. I did not know that Anyway, part. That's cool. My, my sister and I were very close with all these kids. We, we just had a wonderful neighborhood. And, of course, Mother pushed herself into the PTA and on and on and on and the vaccinations, and, and, and Lowry, there were air raids in Denver at that time. Lowry Air Force Base housed Air Force and some Navy and uh, uh, sailor soldiers, you know, at that point. Are we talking just- World War II era? I mean, honest guy, Judith Berg, you sound like you're about 35 years old. How is it okay I'm for 86. me to— 86. I'm 86. You know, that's that's an interesting number. That's when you get thrown out of a bar, you get 86. I know, but listen, when my dad came home for leave, uh, we used to have roller skating parties on Colfax at the roller skating rink, and they'd sing Anchors Away. We had the most wonderful childhood ever, and we got along with everybody. Now, wait, uh, say, is, that, is that the school that's near my junior high hill, near Cramner Park? Is th- That's what we're talking about. No, no, about. no, that was, a, no, Steck is on the corner of 4th and Ash, Fourth Ash and, and Albion. Okay. And, uh, and then Gove Junior High was down on Colfax and 14th Avenue, uh, Colorado Boulevard and 14th Avenue. And that's where we went to junior high school. All right. Well, let's get to the point, which is your family, Lily and Bernie Halpern, were connected. You guys knew everybody. Yes. Well, it isn't only that, but, you know, Mother, she was so busy with her Council of Jewish Women and the Christian Aid Society and Regis. She wanted to be on the board of Regis because she thought the Catholic people should be well informed. (laughs) That's what she used to say. I'll stipulate Craig, to that. You knew Mother. She was wild. She was wonderful. And, you know, we'd, we'd come home for dinner, and the table was full of, of mailings for counsel and the Democrat Party and the Temple Emanuel and 
you know, she'd say, well, we can't eat dinner because we don't have any table. <laughs> so we used to go over anywhere in the neighborhood. We just we just had a wonderful, we used to go down to the Pickerib. Remember the Pickerib? On Are you Co- kidding? Pickerib was run by my uncle Gene Sontag. Yeah. Did you know that? That was my uncle. That's my mother's name. Yes, I knew name. that. Pickerib. And do you remember who the cook was? Who? Percy. Oh, that's right. A black yeah. gentleman named Percy who eventually right. ended up going to Monaco Lanes to make barbecue and great French fries, too. <laughs> yeah, my Uncle Gene had that place. And I, I talked about that with Pete Contos, who was a client of mine when he was still alive. But my gosh, the memories go back. Judith Berg, let's talk about you because you are well, highly educated and bright as hell. Well, Tell everybody about that. Well, first of all, I'll tell you what, how I met Alan. That's very Please. important. I went, we went to Gove Junior High, and we used to walk from 4th and Albion, and we'd catch each other. You know, the people who lived in the neighborhood would come by, and we'd all walk together. And Gove had in the back a shop class where the soldiers and any sailors who were here at Lowry would come down and learn shop in the back of Gove on a Tuesday. And you know, young girls could hardly wait to meet these guys. But you know, in those days, everything was very prioritized. That was very exciting. Gove was a great, great junior high. And I just had some, you know, Joe Blake and Leo Godo. We, we were all really close friends. We all grew up together. And then we went to East High. And I was at East High, and I was 15, and the, the, uh, the guys up at Boulder wanted to meet girls, needless to say. So they all came down to Denver for different events, football games or any kind of Now, when you say East. these guys, were they Jewish frat brothers? Uh, yeah. I mean, I met Alan with a bunch of his Jewish frat brothers. And, what and then, frat was he in? Do you remember the name? Yeah, Phi Sigma Delta. Fascinating. Anyway, Phi keep Sig- going. So, And then we had one friend who was the best. I loved him so much, and he went ZBT. That was Alvin Zinn. Al Zinn, who was a great friend of Alan Berg, and I just came from the memorial celebration of the late Norm Early, who was my boss. Of right. course, New Allen and figures in this story. And he was a ZBT after yeah, a fraternity at American wouldn't let him in because he was black. The Jewish fraternity said, you're welcome. And Norm became president. And there's a big ZBT chapter at CU. But I guess there was a competition between Jewish frats there back yeah, in the day. But, see, Craig, you knew all about all this. Well, like, not really. Uh, I didn't go to see you. I went to Colorado College. I was in a basketball fraternity. I know I know it through you, but the bottom line, we don't have to talk about Jewish well, fraternities, anyway, but I get so, a kick out of the fact that you got a bunch of college-age Jewish guys coming to Denver to get our prettiest girls. No wonder we never had a chance here. But anyway, listen, so one... We did an all-school show every year, and I was a dancer. I was a, first I was a ballerina, and then I was a Spanish dancer, you know, with castanets. And my folks had a dance school out on South Broadway, 
So I was always studying dance. So I was dancing in an all-school show, and Alan and Jay Levinson and um, Jordy Bloom, and uh, and then they became friendly with, with the Denver guys who were up at Boulder, and they all came down to see the show, and that's how I met Alan. And they kept coming back because we had football games and different events and so forth. So um, one one night after a show, my folks came and they told they said come over to the house. So Alan and I went over to the house and mother said because we have a friend coming over and daddy and I have to get home. So Alan and I and my folks went home and who was the friend Bill Daniels. No kidding. So yeah, so Bill Daniels absolutely well until every until everybody was gone he thought Alan Berg was Jesus Christ superstar. That's it. Now this is Alan. unbelievable because people might not remember who Bill Daniels was. But let me see yeah. if I can describe him. He made a gazillion dollars in the cable industry. He started uh, well, Craig, a, a I'm bunch interrupting of sports. You. No, no, no. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but Bill Daniels, one of the most famous people in Colorado history. I just can't believe that you guys. Yeah, but let me tell you what he yes. said. Please. He said, Lily, where's the TV? And Mother said, we don't have TV. What's TV? That was the introduction to Bill living here, staying here, creating cable TV, and he actually ran for governor. He didn't win. He was a Republican. He did not win. But what I'm trying to tell you is he met Alan, and Alan met him, and they were, like, hooked at the hip, and they argued politics. They argued Chicago. They argued black and white. They argued Jew and Christian. They argued Republican-Democrat, and it was it was fabulous. That that's how I grew up with that kind of environment, and of course, a little drinky here and there, and mother with her inability to cook <laughs> crackers and cheese. Anyway, Craig, that that's how I that's how we that's how we met. All right. Well, tell us about young college student Alan. What was it that attracted you? I, I assume you were attracted. You guys ended up together, married. Are you kidding? No, tell well, me. He, first of all, my mom was involved with jazz at the Philharmonic, and black people could not stay in Denver at the hotels. So they stayed at our house because we had a big house with a big basement and, and sleeping bags and beds and all this. So mother told Alan, by the way, uh, I don't know if you're interested in music or not. Are you kidding? Alan was an authority on music, jazz, classical, every he, he just he just knew everything. So mother told him that they were gonna have a rehearsal with Ray Brown and Duke Ellington and all those people at the house. So I don't know if he was attracted to me or my family and all the things they were involved with because we just started dating. But he dated other girls up at Boulder also. And 
so we became very close with Bill, and then Bill decided to run for governor, and he was busy creating cable TV and figuring out how the, the airwaves would go through the mountains. I mean, you know, Craig, it was like, the reinventing of Adam and Eve and the apple and, and, and creating a universe. Well, Alan Berg is famous because he created a new universe on talk radio. There have been movies right. made about him, and he was an unusual person. But when you knew him, he was a college student. Then you fell in love. Yeah, he but got Craig, married. He, but he, Go ahead. He grew up in Chicago with right. all of this knowledge of music and stuff that we didn't have here. I mean, it was Chicago, Illinois. Alan, uh, here in Denver, you would say, unfortunately, excuse me, you would say the colored people or certain neighborhoods. Uh, Park Hill was where a lot of African-Americans settled, but they were living in all over the city. We, We had a very diverse kind of upbringing, and knowledge about all of this so social social issues and politics and and it just created an interest in of course he was interested in me and my family and we date and you know i mean the beat goes on and i graduated and went to college and he went to college but um the the roots the roots of all this were because of Denver, my parents, their friends, their interest in the arts, etc. You know, it just it it evolved. I've read everything I can about Alan Berg, and he had some tough duty parents. You can talk about them, his father, his yes. mother. But sure. he probably discovered in your parents, wow. These Halperns are cool. The dad, the mom, the daughter, they're all progressive. They get along with minorities. He probably was in love with uh, your whole family, right? Yes. He found people who approved of Alan's ideas. After all, if you're a high school kid and your dad is a bigot against African-Americans, it's not easy. But then you come to college and you meet a family that's promoting politics and environment and, 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 and video and television and the arts. And he came from Chicago, which was really part of that, but he was never able to take part in it. He was never able to enjoy it or share it with his family. Was his family sort of distant to him? Was it not warm yes, like yours? Yes, yes, but he had a very hip sister. Norma was was fabulous. She was just, she was a, a, a girl older than Alan and just like Alan, but her parents were the same with her. They were, uh, you know, old world people who didn't really go along with society. Wasn't Alan's and, father a dentist, Dr. Berg? Yes, he was a dentist. And didn't yes. he try to sort of act like he wasn't Jewish? He could oh, leave yes. it behind? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And so Alan comes and discovers the Halperns. You guys were proud to be Jewish, right? And he yes, liked that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. How smart was Alan Burke? How smart? Yes. You mean his IQ? Yes. Was he bright? Well, 
Very, extremely. You know, his best friend was Jay Levinson, and Jay was the head of um, of that IQ organization. Mensa. Mensa. Jay was head of Mensa. And Jay uh, was very close to us, and when we were living in Chicago, when we were first married, Jay was assistant to the, um, uh, what's his name, from the Playboy magazine. Hugh Hefner. Yeah, he was Hugh's assistant. So I was teaching, and Jay called me one day, <laughs> and he said, my boss uh, has a friend who needs a tutor for his kids. So I met Augie Spektorsky, who was Hugh Hefner's right-hand man, and I tutored his kids through, college, uh, through Chicago University, uh, the laboratory school. That's how I got that job. And did you so, get free admission to the Playboy Club? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when my father found out, he was really nervous. You know, people, I, I don't know. I mean, here, everything here seemed pretty progressive. And then we moved to Chicago, and it was wild. Tell me about but, your Chicago life. For a while but, there, but, Alan was a high-flying criminal defense lawyer there, but that yes, practice but he, wore him down. Well, he had epilepsy. He was epileptic, mm-hmm. and he had seizures. Right. And sometimes he had seizures in, in court. Mm. Uh, he, he was driven. I mean, he was, uh, he was so brilliant, it was kind of scary. Well, he displayed but, his brilliance in a way we all heard on the radio. I was a young guy listening to Alan Berg, and he could get people worked up. He had that distinctive voice. I did. He, did did, did uh, Steve Singular ever tell you about the first time he heard Alan? He was driving. Uh, I think he was driving from some city or something. I forget. And he turned it on, and he couldn't believe it <laughs> because of he his said, voice. I guess, I, I don't know what or maybe it was. because of the content, right. First, he had subject. a distinct voice, which I th- I admire that. And he yeah, didn't sound he, like anybody else, but he had a lot of chutzpah. He wasn't afraid yeah. to say things. No, I wish I had gotten to know him personally. Yes, Tell me this but, about... But wait, Craig, ahead, I want to say one thing. Yeah. Alan couldn't handle things like, and neither can I, the N-word saying things that are approximately but not really, you know, that kind of sure. thinking and that craziness and that bigotry and that, I mean, he, it, it, it's black, it's white, it's green, it's blue, it's yellow. Don't play with the words. Don't put, you know, that was his M.O., so to right. speak. He, he was anti-bigot, right? I mean, he'd pick on anybody, and he'd pick oh, on yeah. black people, white people. He didn't care, but... He was anti-racism back before that was a popular thing to say. But that's why he had such a bad time in court. I mean, these judges were like, Norma used to say, his sister said, how did you do in that trial? That guy was like white bread. He couldn't even, he couldn't even understand anything you said, and yet he won the case. You know, because come people in the juries were hip. I get the feeling that I would have had a tough time practicing in Chicago. He came to Denver, and he got to meet a lot of lawyers, and I think he 
said, because I've read all the books, hey, I could have practiced law here. It's not as corrupt as Chicago. It's not as bigoted. I talked with David Sabitz. He was a good friend, a lawyer who met him at the shirt broker. Is, Is he that still accurate? alive? Yeah, David Savage still alive and doing well. Yeah. I've done a here. lot of oh. shows about your late husband. I'm so honored to have you on because I want to flesh out the late Alan Berg because he was a remarkable human being. And one thing I loved about him is he was a dog lover. Am huh? I right? Oh, my God. Oh, we had a basset hound. Craig, the basset hound mopped up the floor with his testicles and his ears. <laughs> Add some low-hanging fruit. A- yeah, no, I can picture it. You paint a nice picture. Did you use them to clean up messes that way? <laughs> well, so They have little robots really. like that that will vacuum. Yeah. But no, basset hound. He, he had strange-looking dogs, right? And then he had Fred at the end. Yes, yeah, right. But, but what was with yeah. his appearance? A lot of that had to do with the epilepsy. You were there. When you got married, for better or for worse, Alan put you through all sorts of challenges. But I so admired the way you stood by him when he had brain surgery, right? He, he, oh, his oh, yeah. life was in peril. Yeah, he had brain surgery. And, um, yeah, I mean, he just... He did. He went through things in an amazing way. It, 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 he, he couldn't survive a bullet, but you know that that that. There's always something that creates the end. Right. He could absorb and absorb and absorb and on mm-hmm. and on and on and on. Well, nobody can take bullets from an assault weapon. That's been proven over and over, and I hate assault weapons, and I advocate against them. And part of it has to do with the death of Alan, who got shot dead by Bruce Pierce with his automatic weapon. And it was on... Oh, those, June- those yeah. people, please. They're just, they're like vermin. They're like acid, acid. It's just... Yeah. Hideous, but yeah. there's you know there there's still plenty of them around. Oh my god, yourself. that's why I want to talk to you, Judith, because you dedicated your educational career to telling people about racism in American history. Well, after- right now, if I could, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, because you are more of an expert than I am. But it seems to me that when Aryan nations formed in the in the Northwest up in, what was it, Washington or Idaho. And then they decided to carry out some actions, bank robberies to get money, and they targeted a Jewish talk show host, Alan Burke, shot to death June 18, 1984, in one of the most terrible crimes in Denver history. Normally, and I went on Thursday to the memorial at Mile High Stadium, he was the DA. I was a young deputy, too young to get involved. I wished I would have been a little older and making decisions because this is why I wanted to be a prosecutor, to get bad guys like this. And my God, yeah. the scum that killed Allen, they went on to perpetrate like Tim McVeigh, Oklahoma City, all the poor victims there. Yeah. Well, Those now, same asses you. showed up at Charlottesville, and to me, they showed up on January yeah. 6th. And now okay, this week, wait. Judith, L- just if I could... I'm so yeah, upset. Listen, okay, I'll, I'll be, go ahead. 
please. After Alan died, I created a uh, public speaking career through the National Speakers Association, and the subject was dissecting and analyzing the anatomy and the disease of hate. So I traveled everywhere. I, I left here. My first engagements, they were all uh, scheduled at different colleges or organizations or whatever, but I went for a couple years. I drove. The first place I went was, was Georgia, and then I went from there to different places, and different friends I had through the years met me at the arenas where I spoke. So the disease and the anatomy of hate uh, was a subject. I had fairly good audiences. The, the, the best audience was in Oregon, uh, where the professor at the college taught his students to hate anybody who had slanted eyes or colored skin. And he was a professor at the University of Oregon. And that's the kind of thing I met, even after Alan was gone. That's what I met. I met that kind of verbosity. Mm. where they would actually say, hate a nigger, and don't call him by any other name. That's what they are. I mean, this was a professor at Oregon University. Oh, my God. And then I, I they went... Got from, excluded. I meant I, I went all around. It was a, it was a speaking tour. So uh, I didn't really meet that much adversity. There was still a lot of hate. It, it was... The 80s, the early 90s, I did speak at an auditorium in California, and and white uh, 25 people came in white ghost costumes. You know that was their claim. They were they were hate bigots. They were, uh, you know, the Klan. And I mean, right. Well, you bring up Georgia right now. I don't know. I hope you don't even follow this news, but Marjorie Taylor Greene with her anti-Semitism oh, and my Jewish sister, My sister is married to uh, 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 Alan's friend from Chicago, and uh, we introduced my sister to him. He, was, he grew up with Alan in Chicago, and uh, when they graduated from high school, Alan came out here, and Barry went to Michigan. And he uh, was in animal husbandry and met my sister at one of our parties, and they were married. And they moved to Georgia because it was a non-union state, and Barry wanted to have a company that hired everybody. And in Georgia, that was good. Black, white, uh, uh, green, blue, yellow, whatever. I mean, his company was unbelievable. It was a meatpacking company. And uh, the the uh, people who supported him for 48 years are now or were the owners of restaurants. And uh, one of the people they own Hillstone here, they own the Cherry Creek Grill, and they own 55 restaurants in the country. Mm. So Barry was in 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 that business. He's uh, he's not orthodox, but he's a very conservative Jew. And my sister and I were raised in a more reform way, but Lynn has become more religious. And they are going through 
what you know from the news in Georgia with the people who live, who are in politics in Georgia. It's a very horrible political environment. Except that your relatives and a bunch of other good people in Georgia saved us by electing a Jewish Senator Ozov and then uh, uh, the first black uh, Senator Warnock. So I'm liking the people of Georgia. In fact, I'm using Georgia font. I hope they don't let us down again because I'm opposed to bigotry. And back to Marjorie Taylor Greene, I don't like her. And what's got me worked up, Judith, is I'm watching the January 6th proceedings. And I'm just an old prosecutor. And it's been made clear to me that the Proud Boys action was coordinated, was part of a conspiracy. They were the stormtroopers, the tip of the spear. The other people behind them did not know they had a bunch of bigots at the front who were going to knock the cops over and lead the charge. But I think a certain guy in the Oval Office knew about that. And it bothers the heck out of me to think that the Proud Boys would take part in an insurrection and the people who called for them to do it, I want them all held responsible, which gets me to a question that I've been dying um, to ask you. Just well, uh, what Craig, would Alan Berg think of Donald wait Trump? Wait a minute. Why, yes. why does everything—this is what I don't understand. Yes. I don't understand why anything surprises anybody or why, let me put it this way, why some things don't surprise some people. I, I mean, you, you're you're in a country of racism and bigotry because a black man wins something. That means that all of a sudden hate is gone because the yeah, Jew is elected. I, I sort of thought, you know, my boss was Norm Early, and him being a black guy didn't seem to matter. Wellington Webb. I grew up in Denver. Maybe I'm sheltered. You've been to Chicago. You know about Georgia. I don't know crap. But I have to tell you, when those guys showed up in Charlottesville— chanting, Jews will not replace us with tiki torches? I was shocked by that. Were you? No, no. Why are you shocked by any of this? I'm surprised at you. You probably have an IQ of 5,000. Why would you be surprised at any of this? Nothing surprises me. Lynn and Barry call me before I see something on the news, and they tell me, and Lynn says, isn't it? I said, Lynn, you've been there for 48, 50-some years, 52 maybe, uh, why, why are you shocked? Why, you live there. I guess I look at all the possibilities as being bad. Everybody's a racist. Everybody's a bigot. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm seasoned, and I don't believe all the bullshit that people tell you. Oh, I like everyone. Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't care. I. I mean, Craig. Now you're that talking, nauseating? and you can't. You can't say bullshit. And Lynn is your dear sister, who's brilliant, and her husband. Tell me, her husband, what's his name again? And this is why they moved there because it's non-union, and you right. can't. The bigotry and hate for years was very safe for money and salaries mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. forth. Now look what's happened. But you mentioned that your brother-in-law was a good friend of Alan growing up, right? What's his name? Yes. Well, Barry was, his family was, they were more conservative Orthodox I Jews. But, but, and but, Alan's, he, Alan's family belonged to the temple, which was reformed. 
right. like our temple here. I understand. But here's the thing that I want to know about Alan Burke, because I've tried to identify who his friends were at the time he died. Who would you say were his top friends? Well, uh, I don't know. And I hope, I just hope that Alan really didn't allow a friendship with Peter Boyles because Peter claimed they were friends. I don't know. You would know. What, what do you know about that? I don't know anything. I never witnessed those two interact. Uh, maybe I heard them on the radio occasionally, but at the time of Alan's death, they were competing against each other, and I have yes. been in a and situation. Alan, and Go ahead. Peter Boyle, Peter Boyle told me, Alan left you money. Why don't you give the money to his mother? I hated Peter. I hate him. I hated him then. I hate him now. I hated him forever. Why don't you give money to Ruth Berg? Then he called me a kike. Peter Boyle called me a kike. For what reason? Probably because he thought I... Well, because he was telling me to give money to Alan's mother. I mean, Peter has always been in an inordinate uh, conversation, I think. I mean, I know he has a a population that thinks he's great. But that's a startling accusation to say that he used the K-word. Are are you sure? When did this happen? This happened after Alan died and... and, um, Oh, it was, I think it was after something about he left me money and and Peter thought I should give it to to Ruth Berg. I mean, well, Peter's so outrageous. Are you surprised? Well. Where is he now? Is he on I the radio know. anymore? I don't know. But uh, I, I will say that he brought Isn't on. Isn't he sick? No, well, he's. He, He'll be sick I mean, to I, hear this, and uh, you know it, it's it, it's quite an I mean, accusation. I, but but let me ask you this: So did he have a problem with you personally, or what? What was his relationship with Alan? Were they it, friends? Were they competitors? I don't well, know. You I, have to tell I, me. I really I don't know. I think Alan knew way down deep that Peter was a big phony, and trying to. Uh, muzzle in. I think Peter hated Jews, and I think he was jealous of Alan. I think he was envious of Alan. Don't you? I, I have mean, no idea. Bit, I, I, well, I didn't witness that relationship, but I did see the 60 Minutes feature where Alan got the starring role. Was that a source of problems? I don't know. I really don't know. And by the way, I was on 60 Minutes. And the guy who wants to do these um, these uh, videos and audio things, he's trying to get the 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 the, uh, the program that was I was on with Mike. Uh, uh, no, Mike's father. Who is the 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 Wallace? Mike Wallace. Who, right. who, Mike Wallace, the father of Chris Wallace, who's the still father doing of some Chris. Stuff. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, that was when he was alive, and it was around the time of the Kevorkian thing. But I can't. And I told the 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 one of the videographers to try to get the copy if he can. I don't know if you can get it. It's old. 
but then, you know, what what is being on a show? They ask a bunch of questions and, you know. Right, just like uh, this. But people are fascinated about your husband and there are projects in the works. You know that better than I do. But I just worry about who writes this story and who gets involved in the telling of this story. And I bet you worry about that, too. Constantly. Tell us what is going through your mind. Uh, well, you know, this one guy, of course, you know, I, I, Steve Singular and Joyce are, they're like two Jesus Christ superstars to me. They're, they're wonderful, wonderful people who, because they had an interest and a love of people and life and ideas, and different ideologies and so forth, they, they've gotten involved in a lot of things, and they're involved in this thing about Alan. And, P, and, and Steve said, and you know, Craig, it could happen to anybody. It happened to you. It happened to it. He turns on the radio for the first time. I heard Alan a million times, and, 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 and I didn't fall apart at each one, but if you hear the first one, or happen to hear a very unique program, it's it's a it's a big it's like a shock. Nobody had the nerve. Right, and uh, your husband was fearless, and he would do things to get people worked up so bad. But I think his legacy is important, and I have had Steve on my show. I'm going to. Uh, pull up the episode in my show notes so people can realize that he wrote a great book about Alan, what I liked about it. And I, I loved Gary Gerhardt and Kevin Flynn. Gary was a client of mine. Kevin and I won an Emmy. Uh, well, you know, Cal- Kevin, Kevin and his wife are very good friends of mine. Do you like Kevin? Very much. I think he's yeah. uh, superb. I, I won an Emmy with him doing a 1959 time travel thing. And I thought the book that he and Gary wrote was Amazing, yeah, and it, it, is. it documented the order and Robert Matthews yeah, in a brilliant way. But so point. did Steve. But Steve's book was more about the personalities of Alan, and it yeah. gets more now, into Peter Kevin, Boyles and to you. And and I've heard Peter Boyles just rip Steve Singular like the guy doesn't know what he's talking about because he's jealous. Are you kidding? This man is a jealous, jealous man. He's envious. Alan always had the celebrity, and Peter was schlepping along. But Peter had a great position. He had fans. He had coverage. He had newspapers. What was his problem? He wasn't famous enough. People, people today love Peter Boyle. They listen to him on the radio, and he had a wasn't he involved in newspaper stuff or something? Well, he's know. done a lot of different things. But the highlight here, again, is you claiming that he called you the K-word when he said you should give some money that Alan left you to his mother. You stand by that, and it's quite an accusation. Am I right, Judith? Yes. but I. I'm How not, did you I, react I to him? To... I, I've never had somebody say that to my face. What did you say back to him? Well, I was very hurt. At that point, I was, you know, I was, I, I, I don't know, I was numb to Peter at that point. I still am. I mean, Craig, I hate to use this expression because it can only go so far. Consider the source. Consider the source. 
with all of the stuff that Peter did and everything he said. Well, I've been thinking a, a lot about that. I don't know if you realize that when I got discharged, my mic ripped away from me by the powers to be at KNUS. Then they started lying. No, but let me me talk about this because this is kind of personal. Um, It bothered me. And then they started lying about me with Randy Corcoran saying that I arranged everything with Brian Stelter on CNN and I wore a special suit, this and that. And then Peter Boyles went with that. And he further supported the lie, calling some Fox News types to say, oh, he would never have been on CNN without arranging it ahead of time. But the bottom line point is this, that as the frenzy built to tear me down, Peter Boyles thought he came up with a clever line about me, and he started calling me Craig Kaepernick. And what is it about me? I thought that reminds him of Colin Kaepernick, who took a knee as a black guy to protest uh, what he regarded as police violence against people of color. And we can debate whether that was right or wrong, but I'm thinking, why does he call me Craig Kaepernick? And I thought, because I'm the other. I'm not, you know, a white Christian like these other oh. guys. And I'm different. I'm Craig Kaepernick. He's the other do you think I'm right about that? Because, yes, wow, and then you put it together with his attack on Barack Obama for birtherism, his veneration of Pat Buchanan, uh, but, well, and, and John Bircher's being regular guests on his show. And I, I enjoyed my time for a while at 710 KNUS, but then I started to feel this anti-Semitism. And I think the whole country is saying, what's going on? But... Well, let me let me ask you one thing, and, yes. and I just inject it. Did you ever? Uh, this is about Barack. Yes. I, I don't know how somebody asked me if I thought Barack Obama was anti-Semitic. So I said I had no thoughts until I heard his Cairo speech. Right. You can get the Cairo speech. It's on your cell phone. No, probably. right. I didn't like it. He had the Muslim Brotherhood yeah. there, and I yes, voted okay. for Barack Obama round one, and then, then I, I fell went, off the wagon. Right. But, so, Craig, he it, went to Israel right. to prevent the election of Netanyahu, and Netanyahu won anyway. This was last right. years ago. But I don't know if Barack Obama's anti Semitic or not, but the Cairo speech seemed to me to be very anti-Semitic. No, I, I didn't like that either. And so my politics are in the middle. And and let's not talk about Barack Obama because you brought up Peter Boyles. And I'm telling you that most people in town would say, oh, Peter Boyles and Allen Berg were best friends. And I really well, don't won't. know. But I'm just thinking about this. Peter was a big drinker in Denver. Then he gave it up to his credit some Easter a while ago. But by the time Alan and Peter knew each other, hadn't Alan stopped drinking, wasn't he? Yes, yes. So I'm wondering, what did those guys do together? I mean, usually somebody who's drinking doesn't want to be with somebody who doesn't drink. But Alan wasn't out at night either. I mean, if he did, he was sitting at a dinner table. And and, lived feeds with Al Zen or something like that, right? Yeah, and, and... but you know, but he didn't uh, go out th- drinking. What I'm saying is, no, he, I don't think they hung out together. But maybe I'm wrong. Berg and well, Boyles. let me just tell you what's very difficult for me always 
In fact, I'm telling, thinking of who I told this to the other day. I think it was Lynn, my sister. She calls from, she knows everything about Denver, and she and Barry keep up with everything, because in Georgia, they're going through hell. Right. So we were talking, and I told her that Peter had a, an episode on the air, and that he wasn't on anymore, and she said, guts I donk. <laughs> Is that Yiddish? Yes, God, God, God willing, God bless it. Isn't it great? You know Yiddish at all? My folks wrote Yiddish. My mother wrote Yiddish. I know Bissell. I know more than Bissell. <laughs> My mom loved your dad, I remember. She told me once. It's a small world, but I, I have to say that you and I have known each other through the years, and you know my wife probably better than I you know me. I love her. Love Love. I love her. Anyway, when I got laid off at Can US and it became a cause celebra, we got a call from Judith Berg saying, keep your head up. What did you say? Why did you call me? It was so sweet. I'll never forget it. Because I wanted to go out to dinner. What do you think? I'm not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to have a drink. Anyway, honey, you have a dear wonderful, adorable wife. And the best thing about your wife, are you ready? It's not her husband. She loves her kids. And she supports them and talks about them and and likes them and and is concerned about them. And that I love. Well, you two talk about everything, I guess, at your lunches. And you're a fascinating oh. woman, Judith, and uh, we know this story, and I don't, I, I hate to go back to 1984, but you, you've had to think, but you almost got killed. You were with Alan that night, his yeah. last night, and the beautiful thing about the Stephen Singular book, Talk to Death, is... Yeah. That even though Alan and you broke up and you had your tiffs, my God, who wouldn't have arguments with Alan Berg? He was argumentative, no. but you loved we were each very other. Close. We you were very close. We always loved each other, and Alan yeah, and loved you. And we talked on the phone a lot, and we, we got together a lot. I mean, it was a very unique situation. And, and the way you two could banter, that's why I like having dinner with you. You've got a sharp tongue, and the two of you going back and forth, that must have really <laughs> been something. I'll tell you what I wasn't. Are you ready to hear what yes, I wasn't? Please. A housewife. Oh, my God. No, I wanted my career. I didn't want to bother with doing the laundry. Yeah, but you were a good teammate. It seemed to me you were a good teammate. When he was going through his struggles as a lawyer, you were there to back him up. At the beginning of his talk show career, I bet you said, you're brilliant. Way to go. I listened to every word. Wonderful. Yeah, but let me tell you, he had some unsavory friends. And and I really got upset. I was worried. I was nervous. I mean, you know, the mafia is the mafia. You can't escape it. That's back in Chicago, right? Well, that was, you know, there's a better way to, the mafia types, mm-hmm. the types. You know, the, the real ones were in prison or dead, but these are the types, the followers, you know. Right. No, I mean, that's interesting because, I mean, like the guys who killed Alan were followers. It was really Robert Matthews. And I'm worried about this country right now in a big way because there are a lot of followers. 
And we're all thinking, I know, but Craig, how thanks. are you handling worrying? My handling worrying, worrying was teaching, but you can't, you can't get to that. It doesn't, it, you can't teach anything that the students are going to listen to now. They're now doing gender. I mean, our no, education no, no, but, but, but believe me, Judith, I think people are going to listen to you. And I think people will say, that's interesting. I never heard about Alan Burke, the man. And it's a shame that he got murdered by those white supremacists. And I, I just wonder, uh, it, it, I may be wrong, but I think that Alan would have made a lot of fun of Donald Trump and ridiculed him unmercifully. Oh, I do too. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, what is your thought and opinion about how Alan would have reacted to Donald Trump in the Donald Trump eras that we know about? I mean, not like the builder of a house or a, a library or whatever he did. And the rumors about his father being in the in the uh, clan, in the clan of 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 New York, uh, you know, New York right. money. And so forth. So I don't know. What do we believe? What do we know? But what did we believe and know? But right now we know about Donald Trump as he is today. And I don't, I can't fathom what's going to be happening. Right. But Alan would have called him out. And maybe he would have led the way because a lot of media people are afraid. And you know, Peter Boyles fell in love with Donald Trump. The, the appeal oh, of Peter Boyles was that he was against all politicians, right wing, left wing. And it was only toward the end when he realized that he was going to get sued personally. His station had been sued over the big lie that Peter Boyles said, no, I'm going to get away. And he has gotten away. But still, he's involved the Denver Press Club, I'm a member. How sick is he? How sick is he? Well, I don't think he's sick. I, I wish him good health, and hopefully it was just uh, an incident. And and he's still doing media. He's putting on video. But his main project is working on Allen Berg memorials and some Allen Berg projects. And I'm a member of what? the Denver why Press Why is he doing that? Why? I, why I, is he doing that? Well, let me tell you something, That's why I'm asking Chris. you. I don't know. He, well, he is not going to talk to me. I'll tell you right now. If he's planning on doing anything about Alan, he better not talk to me. And I hope he doesn't talk to Steve. I no, hope but, Steve but, won't but talk here's to Here's what I hope is that the right people honor Alan Burke. I think he should be remembered. I think about him all the time. The Denver Press Club is apparently going to enter him into the Hall of Fame I just want him entered for the right reasons. As a guy who opposed bigotry, didn't he wasn't friendly with bigotry, and I want his real friends to remember him, and someone who loved him like you, it seems to me you should be invited to the Denver Press Club because you agree that Alan should be honored, right? Yes. Well, I think they should get a hold of you. Well, what about you? Well, Craig... I um, didn't know Alan. I mean, I wasn't friends with Alan Berg. I didn't even know him. He, I never met him. Well, what about Steve? How, how was your, uh, your uh, words with Steve? 
Oh, I think he's fantastic. But what I'm thinking is David Savage was such a good friend. I I had another episode where um, I well, did was, David Savage like Alan? Oh, he loved them, loved them. They they bonded and Al Zen. I, I Harold Dubinsky got me two hours of Alan and Al Zen. Well, you know, Al Zen and I were very, very, very close, very close. Alvin Alvin picked me up every morning. We went with Don Denzer and my mom, and we'd get together for coffee, and we'd get together to drink at night, in the evening. And uh, Bobby Zinn was very, very close with my cousin Harry. We were all, we were really close. I had an unbelievable, and my sister as well. My sister's only two years younger than I, and she's close with a lot of people too. We had an unbelievable uh, not only childhood, but teenagehood. And then Alan introduced Lynn to, to Barry, and she's married to him. They have wonderful kids. And uh, my sister and Barry have two sons. One what son about is, Barry? Since he knew Alan since Chicago, that, that's the yeah, kind well, of guy who I think should be telling stories about Alan, or I think it should be you when he's inducted. Who else would be good? Who's alive? Who knew Alan? Well, Any I don't of his think Barry, Brad brothers. Barry went uh, left high school and went a whole different direction. But he, who, who he, could you think of? Who who would be good to tell the right stories about Alan? What he really was? I mean, I'm so honored you did this with well, me. Well, I think I would. Well, it, right. And if the Denver Press Club asked you to come and honor your late husband. You do what it, are right? they? What, what are they wanting to do? Do you know? I think they want to induct Alan into the Hall of Fame and recognize well, uh, that he was a significant contributor to media here in Colorado. He certainly was. I feel terrible that Norm couldn't be here. Norm early, he died. Well, I remember after Alan got killed, Norm filled in for him the next day. Ken Hamlin was on. I mean, it was shocking to you, the city. You know, I, I talked to Ken a while, uh, about a month ago, I talked mm -hmm. to Ken, and I had a call from the videographer the other day, as a matter of fact, and wanted me to call Ken and he wanted to talk to him. Had, you know, Ken and Sue, they live uh, they live down south. They, right. they live in uh, wherever. County. I think yeah, so. Right. Yeah. No, they, you, it, it brings back a lot of memories, and you've been so generous with your time, Judith. But I, I, again, how would you describe Alan Burke to people who never got I just got don't want to have anything to do with Peter. I just can't. I just can't. I can't even I look understand. At him. I feel the same way often, but I think it's important for people to know the truth uh, from your perspective. And you. You've been so wonderful. Tell us, tell us uh, what's, what's... Well, let me tell you one yes, thing please. about Peter that I worry about. Uh, I was really worried if I would ever go on or talk about him that I couldn't come home and park my car in my garage and mm. feel safe that Peter wouldn't have somebody outside. Yeah. I was scared to death about that. Yeah. And I know that it comes to me because of all the shootings and the cop stuff and people hiding and killing and all this. I think he's really very, very dangerous. I think he has friends that you don't even know about that it would do anything to well, hurt. I hope not. I hope not. That, that's, that's sad. So 
Well, what do you think of him? I mean, well, I mean, I'm, I've, I've really, I mean, my disappointment is profound. I think the way he ended his career is shameful. For a while there, he capitulated to Randy Corcoran and said, I won't talk about the big lie anymore. Then he reversed himself. That whole audience over there has gotten away from them. Now, Where's the Randy media, Corcoran now? What, what he, does he, he, do he, now? He, he has my old slot, 9 to noon, and he's uh, just swilling big lie theories. And, and to me, it, it's, it's terrible. I think uh, our democracy is at stake. And Donald Trump is a complete phony. And I, I just would quote Liz Cheney that anybody who sticks with him now, uh, the dishonor will remain long after Donald Trump is gone. Yeah, I will give credit to Peter what? Boyles. Let me, let me give credit to Peter Boyles that toward the end, whether it was sincere or not, I think Peter has some brains. And he figured out that it's just a bunch of bullshit. He interviewed Joe Oltman, had him on twice, and uh, he didn't bear in on the guy hard. But the Joe Oltman story about intercepting an Antifa call, even Peter Boyles couldn't go for that. And he'll be a star witness at these trials coming up against Salem and Randy Corcoran. And I just saw that whole medium that Alan Berg helped create I've seen it go in the toilet because it's all dominated by Trumpers now, and there's a certain intimidation and a Trump enforcement mechanism through the callers, through the emailers. You better stick to what we're telling you to say or you're in trouble and you're off the team, just like Mike Pence. They were going to hang Mike Pence. I'm following this January 6th stuff. What do you think of Mike Pence? Well, I mean, it's hard for me to understand because he's a white Christian, and I'm not. He's from India, and I'm you, not. But he is a lawyer who ran for office, and when he lost, he got a talk show. He yeah, was a but, weekend but host. Sir, when he was in Indiana, he, he, he hated gays. Yes, he hated right, Jews. Right, right. Well, I don't he think he hated Jews, out. but he was, he was, uh, he's, a, he's a devout Christian. And thank God he did the right thing. Why can't testify now? Well, he's afraid, just like you talked about some fear, because there are people who will, uh, you know, you get violent to, to support their cause, which is just outrageous, which is why Allen Berg died. Do you think Mike Pence could run for president? He's going to run, but I don't think he can win. I think the Trump base has taken hold of the Republican Party. I'm going to try myself to rescue the Republican Party as an unaffiliated, voting for the non-big lie candidates. But I'm tired of trying to rescue the Republicans because I think they're dominated by Trump. I think All he's right, a bigot. My, he he dances would you, would with you? bigots. But Go can you admit that our president now is pathetic? Yes, I'm not happy with Joe Biden. It's sad, but he served a purpose, uh, which was to do. You know, we've got poor choices. Can we end by saying we need new and better leadership, right? And hopefully without yes. any bigotry. we got to get past that us. as a they country. They need us. They need us. They need us. Maybe a woman. <laughs> you know who would be great in government? But she's not here anymore. Is Lily, my mom? She would be fabulous. Oh boy, that's a beautiful way to end this it, incredible you know, podcast. Uh, it, I I kind of remember your mom, Lily Halpern. How would I have but, met her? Did she get? But let me tell you what she did. 
she went to the Democratic Convention in California. My aunt was with her as a witness. My aunt was with her as a witness when she went to Wyoming and told them, it's disgusting the way you have these people here, these Japanese people. Let them go. Mother went to Wyoming and yelled at them because of keeping the people in the camps. Then she went to California, and she told Conrad Hilton, it's disgusting that you don't have a hotel in Denver. And guess what? He built a hotel in Denver. Mother was really something else. She was. You come from a legendary family. I urge everybody to read Stephen Singular's book, Talk to Death. And read uh, Gary Gerhardt and Kevin Flynn. I don't and, have... Yeah, I think Kev, I love Kevin's book. I think Kevin was, wrote a wonderful book. I do, too. And there are a lot of good places to learn about Alan Berg, but one of the best is uh, his only wife, Judith Berg. And uh, I can't thank you enough, Judith. This was well, uh, think, a, a remarkable also, interview. talking about wives, I love your wife. I love her. She is a marvelous human being, and I've gotten to know her very well. Well, I so agree. You're a I lucky agree. Guy. She is my only wife, right? She <laughs> she is one of a kind. Thank you for saying those nice words. Okay. And uh, I, I and wish I'll talk I, to you I, I very wish soon. Uh, all right, Judith. Thank you so much. All right, and uh, Godspeed to Alan on this sad memorial. I I I really appreciate your time. Bye, darling. Bye-bye. Hey, maybe you know my voice and me from the first half of my career when I was a Denver prosecutor. Or maybe you know me from my time on the radio and now on my podcast. But my real job for several decades now has been to fight in the civil arena for victims of crimes. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. If your life has been damaged through the misconduct of others, there's a great new Colorado law, and it's for you. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Let's expose the truth. Let's get you some justice. Let me be your voice for a confidential consultation. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. KNUS Denver, a Salem Media Group station. You're not going to hear the same old regurgitated news headlines over and over all morning long. This guy has a personality and a pulse. This well, is Peter Boyle. There's a misfire. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I uh, asked yesterday afternoon, hey, we'll pull all the spots and... Do what you want to do. But that's the voice of Craig Silverman. Good morning, everyone. I'm Peter Boyles. This is 710 KNUS. We are the voice of the people. It is a Monday, the 18th of November with jam lines. 63, the high, 67 Tuesday. This is a very, very sad day. Uh, we have to talk about someone we work with, someone I had a great relationship with for years who did an extremely dishonorable thing on Saturday. Now, before we go back to anything I promised Dan Kaplis in a couple of exchanges I was going to call his cell phone in our 7 o'clock hour. And I want to make the point that this is a guy that, you know, Danny and I go back a long, long way. And I don't know 
if Craig's going there to go to work. Let's see if Danny answers. He said he was in a lockdown meeting. I said I still was going to call and leave him a message for our audience to listen to. So I do it in a way that no one can hear the number being dialed. We just dial it up. And this is a guy we've been exchanging text messaging over the week. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Danny, it's Peter. It's Monday morning. We're live on the air. As I promised you on the cell, I was going to uh, make this call. Uh, Danny, he continues to tell lies on the air. He disrespects and dishonors our business. You've read my text messaging on how this job is done, how people who work in this business respect it. He has no honor, Danny, and I'm getting an offer right now on the air to call our hotline. He knows the number and make it right and come back and be part of our family again or whatever he's going to do. But I know what you said. And I know I read some of your text messaging on there. I've kept some of it off that was just private between us. And if he comes on your radio station, he dishonors your call letters and he dishonors the memory of Alan Burke, who was killed for the truth. He dishonors KOA. He dishonors everything about it. You should not allow You do what you want to do. But if he does, that reflects on you. All my love to you and Amy, the kids, you and a man. Give me a shot. All right. So what happened is the man said, you recap, ladies and gentlemen, online from the palatial Stephen Tubbs estate, the talented Stephen Tubbs, in studio is my colleague and, farmer, and fellow biker, Randy Corbin. And Randy and I, of course, we've never had any fights with each other, have we? <laughs> yeah, 921, man. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad day. It, it got as close as it could get. Bad, and that's right. We stuck our noses in each other's face, and, and I thought, here we go. And what did we do at breakfast the next day? It was the first thing we did. Hugged. That's right. Let us begin about what happened here on 710 KNUS. And I don't know who, uh, Randy went first last time. This is recapping for everyone. Stefan, this time, tell the story. Well, I'll tell you what I was doing on Saturdays, like I always do. I get up very early in the morning, and on Saturdays, I, you know, putz around the house, and I, I'm listening via my phone, and I listen to Randy's show, 6 to 9, and then I listen to Craig's show, 9 to noon. I'm in contact uh you know, a couple times an hour usually uh, with Craig's producer, who is also my producer, the extremely talented and and mild-mannered and calm, cool, and collected Kirk Whitland. We're going to have him on the show this morning, by the way. Yeah, and, and you know what, Kirk? Um, I, I want to say this just, uh, and I'll say this on my show this afternoon. Uh, he doesn't want me to say this, but, you know, too bad. Um, Kirk was put in an extremely awkward unprofessional position by Craig Silverman on this radio station Saturday morning. Kirk butts, busts his butt, works six days a week, deals with me, deals with Silverman, uh, and, and Craig has a, a very well-researched and uh, lots of sound show. So there's a lot of work that Kirk has to put into it. And guys, let me add a little context to last Saturday for people who are just joining the show. Uh, Craig and I, you know, Craig follows my show, so he'd always come in as I'm packing up and going out. We'd exchange pleasantries. Uh, I used to call him Big Dog. He told me he didn't like it. So after that, I always called him Craig and uh, and thought it was a relatively friendly relationship. As I'm walking out, I see the back of Craig standing out there where uh, where some of the worker folks are. And uh, and he's got the suit on. He's got the interview suit on. And so I didn't pay any attention to it. I don't listen to his show. I uh, I started getting my phone started blowing up when uh, when he was off the air. 
And the way I know exactly what happened is because before Craig made his claims or allowed the claim to exist that he was fired for content, before any of that started, uh, I spoke with your producer, Kirk Woodland. I spoke with with uh, Kelly Michaels. I said, what the heck's going on? And what happened is Craig on Thursday had a meeting, uh, said, I want to explore these other options. They said, you know, we're not comfortable with you being on other shows if you're going to be not as a guest, not as a commentator, whatever, but doing a show while you're doing our show. So they talked about that. Craig said he would take the weekend to think about it. He comes in here. He starts fertilizing the field to to that he's going to be on another station. He's going to do it. Kelly comes in and asks him not to do that. Kelly is in his car, loaded for bear, taking all the junk out to the big event we had Saturday night with Michelle Malkin, Dennis Prager, 1,000 people there. Unbelievable. And Kelly has to turn around and come back to tell Craig that you're done that day. To make the point, this is Craig Silverman on that show. And again, I come back to this having survived all of these years in this business. If you have a job offer, the honorable, decent thing, the respectable thing you do, you go to the man and say, I got a job offer. At that point, they match it or they say you've had your last show. I've been through it. Steph's been through it. Randy, you're too new to the business, but you've been canned. That makes it. No, I, I, tell, I retired. I, I retired. I, I, here's what I tell Tubbs. I, I tubs, resigned. If you haven't been married three times and been to rehab twice, you ain't a talk show host. Yeah. All right. This is, this is Stephen, Stephen, Peter, Randy. This is Craig Silverman telling people Saturday what he's got planned. But this could be my last show on 710 Can You Ask because I've been asked to appear on other radio shows. For people I respect, people who disagree with me, people who I'd like to debate on a regular basis, and I'm inclined to do so. I did a little of it this week, and I liked it. Three hours is not enough for me. I need more, and I've been offered more. Offered. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Offered. He's got a job. He's got a job offer. Now, this is Peter, Steph's on the air, and Randy, and Craig, please call the show. Please. I promise. I'll treat you like I always do, brother. Call the radio show. Make it right. In this business, and I have to explain it again, when you have a job offer, the honorable, decent thing to do, the respectable thing you do, Craig's clearly got an offer. Danny's working it right now. It has been a sad day. It started out as sad for me. As the day has progressed, if you could not tell in my opening monologue at 4 o'clock, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Is that taken, Kirk? Has somebody used that? You know, I went to bed. I prayed for my uh, I prayed for my KNUS family. Because of our next guest, I'm part of the family. I come in as an outsider with a lot of baggage. And yesterday, Saturday, I felt my family was being wrongly attacked. And this false narrative that was being put out by a guy who I have known for more than 25 years a guy that I played catch with his kids when they were little before media league softball games. He batted usually, I don't know, three, four, five. Great softball player. We won the media championship every Tuesday night. I loved my time with our, do I say colleague? I'll say it again what I did and we'll welcome in Peter Boyles. I will be extremely, extremely disappointed in the management of this station. I understand the legalities are none of my business, nor do I have any mental capacity to understand. But if I hear Craig Silverman's voice on 710 KNUS any more ever, I will be extremely disappointed. 
With that said, I welcome in my colleague, the man that I owe everything to for being here and having the honor and privilege to turn on a microphone at this station, Mr. Peter Boyles. It has been quite a day, my friend. We checked your bags. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my boy. Yours will be, be down on Carousel 18 in about an hour and a half. That's sweet. I, you know, I, I'm, here's what I am so you know. I'm with two of the people I love most in the world. My daughter-in-law, Val, and my grandson, Liam. And we're on, we, he goes to wrestling school two nights a week. We're on our way to wrestling class. So no, we'll keep it quick. And she's, dri- and she, and she's driving. So okay. anyhow, um, this is the first time that... Um, and maybe for our Christmas show, he'll do radio show with his with his granddad. Um, but I, this may be coming to an end. Um, uh, I, our, our friend across the hall, Dan Kaplis, isn't even isn't even mentioning this on his show, which was extremely bright. I actually sent him a a, a congratulatory text. Um, there is a lot of stuff floating around, a lot, a lot of rumors. And, and I don't know what's true, what's not true. I, I think maybe that the, this began on Saturday morning at 10:30, and I dubbed, um, I sent Dan a text uh, earlier today, and I said, "Dan, are you going to join Craig's Liars Lounge, a takeoff on uh, <laughs> Craig's Lawyers Lounge?" And um, I don't know. I mean, I think we've all learned something. I think that Dan, it, the light may have gone on with Danny, uh, and I'm not speaking anything he said to me that he realizes that this is a false narrative. And Dan's, a, Dan's an honorable man. Dan, and the radio station over there, the management over there, I don't know what they're thinking. And you have a better insight to them than I do. Um, I know he's gonna, Craig's going to appear on CNN tonight, but that's of no shock. Um, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I know tomorrow morning I was talking to Julie Hayden and talking to Billy Sorp, and I was saying, you know, this may be done, and we do the radio show like we normally would, and both um, Billy, who's the smartest young producer, and your guy's brilliant. Kirk's been brilliant. And and Julie said, you know, that notion of family, which I love what you said, we, ha- we have to let the other members speak. And so maybe, you know, not maybe, but when I sit down with Billy tomorrow morning and we talk and say, okay, let's, let's let everybody, you know, vent it out. And uh, there may be an update between now and then. But at this point, um, he may have become Craig Kaepernick. Hey, thanks to Judith Berg. Wow, what a powerful episode. At the end there, you heard some sound of Peter Boyles talking about me back in mid-November of 2019 when I unceremoniously got let go. I guess there was a bit of a ceremony. It was in all the papers. I did not know that would happen, but I reacted when it did. And it was all spontaneous. I was going to be a guest with Dan Kaplis talking about impeachment. My contract allowed it, but the management said, no, we don't want you disparaging Trump anywhere. Well, I just tell the truth about Trump and let the chips fall where they may. Great thanks to our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Isn't he terrific? And then Joe O'Day. Got to know you this week. You are fantastic. My life is a work in progress. We all are. Thanks for joining our show. If you would tell a friend, share, subscribe, five stars, you know what to do. Thank you. Episode 102 next week. Jared Polis, Heidi Ganahl. Don't miss it. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.